Recorded live. Hey, how you guys doing? This is the producer from Brothers Comics. We have a real treat for you guys today. Uh, we have actor, writer of TNT's Leverage, uh, the librarian, and probably most importantly to you if you're listening to this podcast, the writer of Marvel's newest creation and newest comic, Mosaic. On the line today, we have Jeffrey Thorne. Jeffrey, say what's happening to everybody. Hey, what's happening, everybody? All right. <laughs> Man, I, like I said to you uh, when we were setting this up, like I moved from Georgia to Florida, and we had had this all set up right before I moved. And then after that, I was uh, persona non grata for about two months. So uh, oh, wow. I'd love to reconnect on this. Well, I wasn't mad at you. You know, uh, things happen. But, um, you know, here we are. Well, let's uh, – let, and thank you for the very kind words about the um, – about, about, about my day. Awesome, man. Hey, no problem, man. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, Mosaic's been out for about, what, three weeks or so now. Yeah. Um, feedback's been relatively positive if you go by the Internet trade yep. uh, and, uh, and social media. So I kind of yep. wanted to talk a little bit about Mosaic, of course, but then kind of how you came on to Mosaic. But let's, let's go with first. We're about the same age. What was it like for you? Where did you grow up, and what was it like for you kind of growing up black with nerd nerdly habits well uh i guess i was lucky in terms of um uh, geek world uh i grew up a lot of different places i mean mostly washington dc i guess but uh we traveled a lot my folks got divorced so i spent a lot of time with my mom and I spent a lot of time with my dad and so i was often the um the new kid so right. i didn't have to really necessarily fall into a particular uh click in, in certainly in uh, uh, junior high and high school, I was just sort of like just Jeff and I had my friends and they had clicks, but I was sort of like the guy, I was like the Swiss army knife. I could go right. with any click. Um, and I was already weird. So like being geeky on top of that didn't really right. do anything. So I was lucky. <laughs> I didn't get like bullied or bothered or anything like that. Um, I will say in the black community coming up, uh, a lot of the stuff that I was into was not stuff that was really shared by a lot of my peers, uh, my local peers, like my neighborhood friends and stuff weren't really that deep into comics um, or sci-fi or any of that. They were much more into like Bruce Lee movies and football and basketball and, you know, right. baseball. And, 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 and I mean, I guess what normal kids might go for, what you might call normal kids at that time. Right. Um, but since I was always a new kid, you know, it, they were always like, well, what's your thing? You know, and it was always pushed into the area of, well, that's what the new kid does, right? right? It wasn't like shove him over there with the geeks we already don't like because <laughs> I wasn't part of anything. I didn't grow up with anybody. So I, right. I didn't have any of that like old baggage to carry on with. And then in high school, I got into the, uh, there's a school in D.C. called the Duke Ellington School of the Arts. So uh, I got into that uh, and I ended up sort of going into the theater where basically everybody's a geek. So right. <laughs> like, I don't care. I don't care what you think of your movie stars or your TV stars or your uh, or your Broadway stars. One hundred percent of them are geeks. One hundred percent. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what they say in their interviews. One hundred percent geeks. All of them. Right. So um, and so it just it was never really a problem for me. My parents are always very supportive of really anything I took seriously. Uh, and it became clear, I guess, to them early on, it was going to be something in the arts because that's kind of where my passions ended up taking me. Um, so I didn't really have a problem. I, I, I got sucked in by Star Trek and, and uh, 
Fantastic Four and Legion of Superheroes, and I kind of never looked back. Now, that was your entry, like Star Trek and mm-hmm. comics or, or comics? Yeah. Like, what was your yeah, entry into Geekdom? I would say Star Trek first. I watched that with my dad on old black and white TV. Um, it was sort of like one of those like father-son bonding things where after the divorce, right, you're like hanging with dad in this new place and it's all weird or whatever. But we always had Star, <laughs> always had Star Trek, right? right? You know, and I was also lucky because even though my parents didn't like each other, they loved me and my brother. So they were very cool about, it was probably the coolest divorce ever. Like they don't like each other, but they, you couldn't play them off against each other. Like it was none of that. Like dad said this mom, so I'm going to be doing this now. She'd be like, really, let me call him. (laughs) You know, there was none of like, I'm not talking to that man. There was none of that. So, so it was not that weird, but you know, I would sit with my dad and watch his old beat up black TV and watch Star Trek episodes and reruns, the original series. And the first thing, uh, the first thing I saw, the first thing I remember was this episode called "The Ultimate Computer," where uh, the creator of all of the tech on in the star in Starfleet, all the computer tech in Starfleet was a black dude. Right. And I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Plus, yeah. Uhura is there every day. Plus, Sulu's there every day. You know? And I was just like, "Damn, this is." Okay. Okay. And I was hooked. I was hooked, like hooked, 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 hooked. But it never occurred to me to like go home and like pretend to be Captain Kirk. It always was like, I know this is, this is not real. Right. I know this is just a version of being told a story. So immediately I started thinking, how does that work? How do they do that effect? You know, how do they make that happen? You know, all that kind of, where do they shoot this? Oh, that's just a set, huh? Okay. You know, mm-hmm. so there was always part of my mind that was working on the backstage part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of got into it through that. And my dad had collected comics when he was a kid. So he gave me some of his old comics. I think the one of the first, um, one of the first comic books that I was ever given was a book called The Great Comic Book Heroes and had like the first Human Torch story, the first, Namor story, the first, not the first, but one of the stories of the spirit, I think right. the first Green Lantern, the original Alan Scott Green Lantern story, the Flash, first wow. Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is stuff from the 40s reprinted in like an oversized book. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other book that I think I remember was this thing called the Great, like, you know, Greek Gods. It was a big, giant size picture book that had Greek gods and, and Norse gods, and somebody gave me that. So I got that all mixed up together with superheroes when I was like seven or six, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And like, so I just really had no chance. They were just like, go be a geek, go be a geek. You're going to be a geek, man. Go be a geek. So, um, so it was did pretty you, easy. Did you always lean towards the writing part? I mean, you went to a school for... For, for acting and dancing and, yeah, and music. Well, that's, the that's an interesting story. Yeah, I did start out, I was, I was, people who know me now will be like, yeah, I can't picture that. But I was very quiet young man. Like, I was a quiet kid. Uh, I wasn't shy, but if I didn't have something to really say or I didn't know you really well, I didn't really have much to say to you. So I would just, I would just watch and listen a lot. Um, so I wrote, I started writing probably stories. I started writing my own stories when I was probably eight or nine, I'm, you know, kids, do, but, um, my folks were cool with it. They were like, yeah, do that. Here's legal pads. Oh, let's get him a little plastic typewriter. You know, like right. anytime mm-hmm. I showed any interest in whatever, they would push it a little further to see if it was something I was like going to dig into, or if it was just something like, you know, how kids are, they, 
Yeah, try on a lot of hats. You can try. You can try. You there? Are you back? You're back? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Can you hear okay, me? I'm back. <laughs> okay, so right. where do we live off? Um, you were telling a story about, uh, like, you writing, like, Oh, okay. So, yeah, I leaned into that, and my folks kind of got behind me on it there, that whole thing where if a kid shows some interest in something, let them play it out and see how far it goes. Um, and so they were cool with me starting to write. They were My my mom's a, my mom was a school teacher for many years. My grandfather was a school teacher. Uh, my my grandmother ran, uh, was uh, in the New York Metropolitan Library System. Um, they were always very big on books and reading and all that kind of stuff. And if I wanted to be a writer, that was cool with them. Um, let's see. I mean, this is when you're like seven. So, right. you know, next week I'm going to be a fireman. You know. <laughs> so, um, but, um, but, yeah, it kind of stuck with me. And so I was a, a, I was a quiet kid, always with the big eyes and the big ears, not much to say unless I knew you really well. I wouldn't describe myself as shy. I just, like, if I didn't know you, why am I telling you anything? Right. You know, I uh, was that kind of attitude with a kid. But uh, I started writing a lot. My, 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 my folks were really into it. My dad started pumping me full of sci-fi novels like Dune and Wizard of Earth Sea and, like, well, Wrinkle in Time and all that kind of stuff and, you right. know, uh, Chronicles of Narnia and Lord of the Rings. So I got all that stuff, like, before I was 10, I was hip deep in that stuff. Wow. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad's like a jump on with both feet type of guy. So, right. <laughs> um, so I was writing and writing and writing for a long time, and then um, at one point, it's a very long story. I'm trying to make it shorter. Uh, yeah. Me and this artist friend of mine were in this weird sort of uh, special program for kids who like to write or draw, and uh, we went to our. We realized that we knew a lot of stuff about comics, like the Vision's origin story is really complicated complicated, was he really the original first human torch transformed by Ultron into this, did Ultron just build him, all right. this other stuff, right? But we could remember all these ridiculous details, but we couldn't remember what Charlemagne's queen's name was from history right. class, <laughs> right? And the reason was history class was made boring by every teacher who taught us anything, right. and it was like, how are you making all these wars and people killing each other because they want to get in somebody's pants, you know, uh, how are you making that boring? Right. I remember ridiculous crap about secret identities and which Flash is the real Flash and all this mm-hmm. other stuff, but I can't remember this. So we went to our teacher and we were like, or our, I guess you say supervisor because it wasn't really a teaching situation, um, and said, look, you know, we think comics would be a good way to teach younger kids the stuff that we find, the stuff that we find boring. So they were like, all right, mm-hmm. well, you're just yourselves, so you can do arithmetic and um, you can do... You can do basic arithmetic and 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 and, and uh, what do you call it and uh, um, uh, multiplication, multiplication, right. oh. and you can do um, basic English, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll do some textbook comic books, and you guys will write them. You, Jeff, you will write them because you'll be kid to kid, and mm-hmm. you, Gary, you will draw them because you can draw. And right. we sold that to the DC school system, like oh, the wow. DC, yeah, the DC school system bought that. Like my mm-hmm. first writing, my first professional writing gig was when I was. Fourteen, wow. Okay, and so and that was me off to the races. 
But here's mm-hmm. the crazy thing. So I come running home to tell my dad this story, right? He has the house is full up with people who I've never seen before. I ignore right. them. I tell them the whole crazy story, the whole room tell the story, acting out the parts, all this other stuff. And then I run right. to the back to tell my other friends on the phone because there were no cell phones or computers back then, yeah. right? So I leave, yeah. right? And then after all these people leave, hours later, my dad says, you know who those people were? They were an acting troupe that was performing The Tempest at the local, at the Folger Shakespeare Theater. <laughs> I ran into them at a bar and brought them home. And wow. I was like, you brought a whole acting troupe home? Why would you do that? <laughs> What's wrong with you? You know, but he did. And they said, you know, your son, he never seen any of us before, and he basically gave us a one-man show of this afternoon of his. And then he wow. left, and he wasn't in any way shy or bothered or anything like that. And he was charismatic. You might want to think about him, you know, looking into acting because he'd be good at it, right? And I yeah. was like, what? <laughs> Are you stupid? No. I, why would I do that? Um, right. But my dad was like, well, it might get you out of your head a little bit. You know, sometimes you're a little standoffish with new people. This might be a way to sort of make you relax a bit and be easier with people, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So, um the previous year I tried to get into this arts high school uh, as an illustrator. But mm-hmm. when I say tried, uh, what it meant was I said I wanted to do it, and then like most teenagers, I completely screwed it off, did not do any of the, the preparatory work. And, right. and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not getting in here. It's like my dad was like, you didn't fill out any of the forms. You know, nobody's going to rush and get you in. Forget it. You're going to your local high school. Tough. Wow. That's, what you're, that's your fault, so you eat it for a year. <laughs> right. My local yeah. high school was the roughest high school in D.C. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing to me? Right. That's so saying something. D.C.'s got some oh, rough high school. Oh, dude. Uh, that's, a whole, that's a whole podcast by itself. But um, so, like, so I, I'd had enough of that high school by the middle of the year. Uh, so I got my stuff together to take up to the next year to get into the arts high school. So I was ready to go as an illustrator. And then my dad springs this, you should be an actor. You know, on me, and I was like, "Oh, all right. I, I, I don't know what they really do. They say lines, right?" So um, I memorized Edgar Allan Poe's "The The Raven" and acted it out as my audition for this school. Wow! Right? And I got in. But here's the crazy thing: because I was going up there thinking I could be a double major, and this is what is so weird about luck and this the crazy kind of life you could live. Uh, so I get up there, and again, there's no cell phones, there's no way to call home and ask questions. My dad wasn't with me. My mom wasn't with me. I was by myself with my little portfolio and my little monologue, right? Mm-hmm. And I did everything. I got into both. I got in as an illustrator and I got in as a actor, but I couldn't mm-hmm. do both this year. They changed the rules where you couldn't do both. You had to choose one. So right. I flipped the coin and it came up actor. <laughs> okay. So that's what I did. From that point on, I was an actor until I got out of college and got on the TV shows and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I always kept writing. I wrote plays and short stories and little things like that. But I, I started thinking of myself exclusively as an actor who sometimes would write stuff. Right. Wow. And yeah. and then at some point in my acting career, I just looked around and I realized I was still paying way much more attention to how bad most of the writing was. And <laughs> uh, I was like, and I was doing fairly well at the time. I was like, right. I don't really like this. I'm out. Right. I want to go be a writer. Um, and that caused. Again, that's a whole other podcast, but uh, that that basically was like me shooting napalm into my whole life. Like, uh-huh. basically lost all my friends. I completely cut off all my business ties. I had no no like 
There's nobody I could call right. and say, hey, hook me up, put me on your show as a writer. I'll, I'll do anything. With none of that, I basically right. went into a tailspin money-wise and socially for about five, six years. Um, I was basically broke. Uh, I know people think you come out of that stuff with a lot of money, but one, I got ripped off by my accountant, and two, I spent a lot of money on other people, like hooking up people with uh, college tuitions and, you know, paying off some mortgage situations. I paid off all my my own college loans. I was not rolling in dough like people would think. I was broke, straight up broke Mm -hmm. and isolated because I had no friends anymore. Because uh, mm-hmm. all my friends were like, well, I don't understand how you could make such a choice like this. And I don't right. know if you're trustworthy. I'm going off to be a movie star. Uh, wow. So uh, I was alone with Steph for me and my girl, who's now my wife. Mm-hmm. She's ride or die. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I spent several years being a professional illustrator. I did all the crap work um, that real, really talented illustrators would never do because they're busy getting real work. I got right. jobs off Craigslist, word of mouth, out of backs of magazines, like anything I could do to get work, I did it. Um, and it was it was really terrible, and I was trying to be a writer at the same time and not getting anywhere. And, I mean, I'm making this really short. <laughs> it was horrible. It was just like – plus, from a point of view of being a screenwriter, I was 10 years into another career before I decided, oh, I should be a screenwriter. So I was mm-hmm. competing with people 10 years younger than me. The whole right. time, yeah. um, mm-hmm. um, which you wouldn't think would be a problem, but it turns out it was because a lot of the way uh, Hollywood works is social connection. And I was mm-hmm. past the point where I was running with my boys, going to clubs every night, right. trying to meet dicks and going to parties and all that kind of stuff. I had passed through that as an actor. So mm-hmm. I didn't have any connects. Meanwhile, right. these guys are graduating from Harvard and just making a quick phone call to the guy from the Lampoon to put me on the Simpsons, dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it was a rough period, and I'm glad my, my girlfriend stayed with me through that, my wife now, because she suggested, well, you're not getting any traction with uh, the screenwriting stuff. I mean, you're getting some, but not much. Um, right. Why don't you try writing, like, stories? You used to do that. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start right. doing that? And I said, like, I don't even know how to begin doing that. And just coincidentally, just as she was saying that, um, I discovered uh, this thing. Basically, it was a tryout book for um, – for um, uh, Pocket Books, where they they had the they own the Star Trek book franchise, so yeah. they had open uh, open submissions for this anthology thing, where basically anybody who wasn't already a pro, you had to be an amateur, right. could write Star Trek stories, and they'd give you a real contract and and pay you real money, and you get really published. And it was kind of a half a contest, but it was also like them farming, doing a farm team for their next batch of who was going to write these books. Right. So I did that. I didn't get in the first year, but the the editor, uh, a guy named Dean Wesley Smith, wrote me back. He, they give you a form letter and just says, we didn't pick up your book. They, were, right. they have little check boxes where they go, here's kind of why we didn't like it. But mm-hmm. he wrote in in the margin, almost, I want to see more from you next year. Okay. Right. I lived on yeah. that for a year. I wrote like a billion freaking stories that year, right? right. Uh, and so I sent him four more the next year or five more the next year. One of them got second place, got mm-hmm. published. Um, at the same time, I was selling – when I say selling, it sounds like a big deal. It looks great on paper. But, you know, except for the Star Trek thing, each sale was maybe 400 bucks. wasn't paying wow. anybody rent. You know, mm-hmm. like the Star Trek thing was a couple grand, but even that only paid my rent for one month. Right. <laughs> and then you're still back where you were. <laughs> right, so um, it was cool and everything, but uh, 
so that got me started. I sold some stuff to some magazines, a couple other contests, and then I uh, hit up one of the editors at Pocket Books, and I was like, hey, is there any more I could do for you guys? I really like this. And they're like, hey. And, and basically somebody fell out of one mm-hmm. of their uh, their pro anthologies. Uh, uh, it was a last-minute thing. And they're like, look, I can't tell you who, but I can't tell you why, but a slot opened up in this antho. Would you like a, would you like a crack at it? And I was like, hell yes. Hell yes. yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, what would I like? Yes, just put me down. You know, yeah. and so that got me started into the prose world. I wrote a bunch of Star Trek stuff, and then that branched out into selling to um, Milton Davis did um, uh, Griots and uh, uh, Steampunk anthologies. I started doing my own stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, and meanwhile, I'm you know I'm starting to get work in Hollywood, little jobs here and there, which turned mm-hmm. into that first job on. Um, Law and Order Criminal Intent, from which I got mm-hmm. fired. But right after that, I got onto Leverage, and I stayed there for three, mm-hmm. um, for three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started uh, because uh, oh, here's a weird thing. Uh, I tried I tried to get onto the Justice League cartoon several times, and Dwayne McDuffie and I sort of knew each other off the of face, uh, not Facebook, off of the internet. Right. Um, and I thought, okay, well that's a close hookup. He's a brother. He'll hook me up. And <laughs> right. no. Um, he was like, this, these stories are good, but we're either doing something that's too much like it or we can't do it for other reason. Thanks for playing. You know, no. We were still cool with each other. I didn't take it personally, but I, I figured, okay, well, that's the end of my animation career. And then me and my partner, my best friend, put out this book, this comic book called Prodigal mm-hmm. uh, some years ago. And Dwayne read it, and he called me in the middle of, like he yelled out my name, Jeff Thorne in the middle of uh, the San Diego Comic-Con, and I turn around, and there's a giant black man coming my way. Yeah. And, I mean, because people who never met Dwayne, he was gigantic. Right, um, yeah. Like, you want him happy with you. Let me put it like that. You don't want him, <laughs> you don't want him coming your way with a, with an ugly look on his face. Um, right. So he's like, you wrote this. It's great. Um, and I was like, cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I'm very, you know, founder of Milestone, and, you know, I, I, I can take that to the bank. I live on that for a year, right? Wow. And he said, well, look, I'm running Ben 10 right now, the Ben 10 show. Have you ever thought of submitting some ideas to Ben 10? And I was like, what? what? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I said, honestly, no. I thought, you know, after the rejections, I, that was pretty much my shot in terms of animation. I don't really, it's not like I'm going to be writing My Little Pony. Right? Right. I basically just write adventure. I don't, there's not right. a lot of that on TV right now. And I figured after you shut me down, I wouldn't get you up anymore because I don't want to be a pest. You know, and he's like, okay, that's stupid. I want to hear five Ben 10 pitches from you at, at minimum in two weeks and walked away. Like that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I did that and I started writing Ben 10 episodes. I wrote a bunch of those in between, like when you're on hiatus from your, your main job, yeah. I kind of like to stay busy. So I would try to hit them up and I was lucky enough to, they liked my ideas. So they would bring me in a lot. So I started being sort of half an animation writer as well as my main job as a, a live action writer. And um, so I made a lot of connections and friends in the animation world. So every once in a while, people will give me a call and ask if I'm free. Do I have stories I want to pitch or do I want to kind of be on a team to do something? And I ended up writing some Spider-Mans, a whole bunch of Ben 10s. Uh, there's this new show coming on Amazon called Nico and the Sword of Light that I wrote a few episodes of. Okay. Uh, and, so, uh, and some other stuff that's upcoming that I'm legally not allowed to say what it is. No, whatever. But... Um, uh, so I started doing that, and it just sort of all worked around to 
mosaic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, how did how did that yeah. pitch come about? Like, how did you how did you get involved in mosaic? Like, how did did it get presented to you, or you made the pitch to Marvel? How did that work? Um, okay, so here's what happened. Here's the real deal of what actually happened. It's boring, but it's true. Okay. Uh, 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 my I tried to get in. Marvel occasionally used to do these outreach programs, right? So I tried mm-hmm. to get in with a pitch for the Prowler. Me and my boy Todd sent in mm-hmm. a pitch for the Prowler, uh, which we thought was going to kill. And it started to go up the food chain. People were digging it, and then they canceled the program, and then it just went away. So I was like, well, that's my time with Marvel. That's <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen for Jeff. Let me keep moving. So uh, Todd and I kept making comics. We made Prodigal. We made uh, Journeyman with Dark Horse. Um, I did Knight Rider for Lionforge. Um, uh, I did a thing called the Honor Brigade for this small company called uh, Spinnerack Comics. I wrote a story for them. You know, mm-hmm. I stayed in with the comics. Um, and so I guess, this is my guess. Um, you know what, let me not say that. Let me say it like this. My name came up at one of the big Marvel summits, uh-huh. right, where they get the writers and editors and everybody together and say, what are we doing for the next little while? Right? right, and they're like, "Well, we want to relaunch the Black Panther, um, but um, this time around, like, it's really probably a bad. I, I, this is my guess. Nobody told me this. This is my guess. But I'm betting they didn't want to give it to a white writer in the current right. climate in the fans. <laughs> yeah. uh, I I would think that bringing the Black Panther back with no matter how good that writer is, right? Yeah, Jason Aaron going to be problematic. Right. By the way, Jason Aaron probably wrote the best Black Panther story in modern times, which is see Wakanda and die. And, uh, but if they put him on the book, there would have been a crazy uproar, right? I, and yeah. they did, they'd already done, and, and, and Reggie had already done his time, and he was all deep in this Milestone 2 stuff. I'm sure they probably approached him, and he said, look, I'm way too busy with all this. But right. at the end of the day, my name came up, because I had all these TV credits, and I'd written all these book stuff, and I'd done all this comics. So somebody in the room brought my name up. Right. Um, and so for that, they asked me and David Walker and some other dude uh, uh, um, that we didn't yeah. know who he was. We didn't ever get that name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that other dude. Yeah, we were up for uh, we were up for the Black Panther. And I, I always found out because I ran into David. We didn't really know each other that well. We started making a point like creators like us are rare. We ought to know each other, at least to shout at. So we made right. a point of started trying to get together, have email conversations. When we were in the same city, we would hook up like that. Um, so we were friendly with each other. I was like, hey, dude, are you in the mix on this? And he's like, hell yeah. Is he, are you the other guy? You know, like that kind of conversation. <laughs> we didn't tell each other like what our pitches were, but I know how David works and I know how I work. So I knew our pitches were going to be wildly different from one right. another. But who's this third guy, right? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, they won't tell me his name. Uh, they tell you anything like no, 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 right? And I was, and I kept thinking, who could it be, right? There's only a few mm-hmm. people who could it be, but the the person who got it, the Pulitzer Prize person, yeah, the person who got it was not on my list at all. Let me put it right, like that, yeah. right? So when they made the announcement, I was like, oh, right, yeah. I was never getting that job. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I was getting that, job. right? But. Um, so, but what had happened, what had happened was, happened um, <laughs> but by now I'm in the mix, right? I, because I've been talking to the editors, I've been pitching out my story. They don't, they like the story. They just mm-hmm. like uh, Mr. Coates' version, his version better, 
right? Which is what happens with writing, by the way. When you're pitching out to magazines or, or even TV networks, it's not so much that they don't – after a certain point, it's not that they don't like what you're saying. It's like for whatever reason, they don't feel it fits their needs, which is different than I don't like it, right? And right. You, see, you see the take that uh, Mr. Coates has done uh, is very different than previous takes. Right. Um, I think it's great. I love yeah. it. I like, it's like reading a great sci-fi novel with pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, you can see the editorial. If they were going to choose that, they were never choosing my pitch. So, sure. um, and I don't, know what, I don't know what David had pitched out. But mm-hmm. I do know that David got Iron Fist, Power Man, and mm-hmm. at the time he also had a, a Nighthawk for that. Right. So uh, they were clearly keeping us in the mix. Uh, I get a call from Axel Alonso at one time, and he's like, look, uh, and I was out of the blue because I figured it was done at that point, right? Once I didn't get that one thing, I was like, well, you know, Marvel, God bless you. Don't go with God. I'm going to keep my <laughs> Right? Um, yeah. Uh, but I get this call out of out of the blue from Axel saying, hey, look, let, 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 let's look it up and talk a bit. So I call him back. He says, look, um, uh, we got this push going with the Inhumans. Um, we're having a good time with them. Um, we would like to take this opportunity to introduce uh, some characters of color into the Marvel Universe. Do you have any ideas on the subject? And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, I kind of thought we were done. Let me give you a call back. Let me think about it and give you a call back. Right. right. He's like, cool, cool. So I call him back a couple of days later, right, and I pitch him out some stuff of which Mosaic, it wasn't, didn't have a name yet, but at the time uh, I didn't, it literally had no name. Uh, but I pitched him like three or four different concepts, and it was like yes or no, or that's kind of neat, but it's a little close to what we're doing with this and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't know how that would work, you know, because a lot of my ideas are nutty. From people doing, they're like, "Yeah, we're not doing that, Jeff. We're not doing that. We're not. <laughs> Kang is not. Kang is not conquering the Marvel universe, Jeff. Not <laughs> you know. So, um, so we settled on what ended up being Mosaic, and their concerns are what I'm seeing in the press a lot. Were really like, "How is this not Dead Man?" And I right. explained to him how it's not Dead Man, and they were like, "Damn." So I was like, "Now he's gonna look a little like Dead Man at first. And they're like, that's cool, that's cool, that doesn't matter because we know where you're going now, and wow, right? So I was like, okay, cool. So then we had a little bit of talk. Is it going to be like um, a big fight kind of book, like constant action, or what? And I was like, well, I was thinking of it more like an old-school Vertigo-style book, right? Mm -hmm. And Axel was was like, okay, so what, like a really slow pace, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, define slow. Right. <laughs> and he was like, slow. And I was like, um, I mean, this is a paraphrase. This is not quoting actually. He didn't actually say it exactly this way. But basically right. the idea is we found a happy medium between what I wanted to do, which is almost like a horror book when I first pitched it, um, right. and what you guys are seeing now. And um, uh, it has a lot more action in it right away than I had planned for it to have, um, mm-hmm. which would be upcoming in more issues like next month for sure. Um, and definitely on issue four. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but, yeah, well, I can't even tease. Although if you read the previews and the solicits for previews, you get a kind of idea of some of the characters that are going to show up. But um, uh, so, yeah, and, and they, we had a long talk about um, – we had a part of the talk was always, always concerned with, um, what do you call it, uh, fan response. You know, mm-hmm. Marvel was very much interested in making sure that fans know that they're being heard, 
right, mm-hmm. that it just takes a minute to turn a curve that's been going in one direction for 70 years, right. you know. And, yeah. um, and and I think people ought to know, I am, am still and very much always have been, and I mean very much always have been, one of those fans that was like, where the hell are my black characters? Where the hell are my Asian characters? Where the hell are my gay characters? Right. And more importantly, mm-hmm. where the hell are my black writers? Where the hell are my Asian writers? Yeah. Exactly. Where are my women? Where's my women, man? You know, right. I was always that guy. If you were to go through an internet sleep, although I guess some of them have been purged. Like, like uh, on CBR, I used to be a maniac. Um, I mean, like a maniac about this kind of stuff. And we'd call out Dan Didio. We would call out Axel. We were frosty. Every all these articles were me and my. I wouldn't say my crew, but a, a bunch of guys who are now writing comics, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, would be like, this will not stand. You guys need to stop this. You can make the excuse in the 50s, but you can't make it past 2000. You can't, you got to stop, right? When we never thought anybody was hearing because the response was uniformly, basically, go screw yourselves. Right. You know, we're making the books. You can buy them or not. You know, um, I mean, I, it wasn't that harsh all the time, but the vibe was kind of like, who are you to tell us what we should be doing? Right. You know, and so, but it was very surprising to me. I, I have to say, it pulled me up a little short. I was a little embarrassed for some of the stuff, not most of it. Most of it I still stand by, but I would say like 20% of the 100, mm-hmm. uh, I would probably reword or take back based on what I'm seeing from the backstage now. Like, oh, okay. it's a little bit less easy to make that turn than I wanted it to be. And so mm-hmm. they were hearing us, and I think it's being very much reflected in Marvel's stable of Comics out now and comics upcoming, and not even including Mosaic. Forget Mosaic. Um, did you did you feel that pressure of like having or creating or crafting a new black character? I mean, you you know our people sometimes uh, are the <laughs> critics, um, and that I was put that I was worried pressure. about Jamie. I was worried about Jamie and the black girl nerd. Let me put it like yeah. that. <laughs> I was that was my if I get over the, if I get past Jamie, I know I'm good. Um, (laughs) um, honestly here's the thing with that Um, one of the problems and I don't say diversity so I'm going to stop saying it I only say it because that's what everybody else is saying what I say is inclusion okay Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not really diversity it's just inclusiveness Uh, the I don't feel that pressure that you're talking about but the reality is this David Walker is a fine writer like a powerhouse of a writer but his approach to these issues is different than the way I approached it, all right? Now, I don't know how he would describe me. I like to think I'm a pretty good writer, but I don't, like, if we give, if you said write a story about Black Lives Matter, and he and mm-hmm. I are going to turn out completely different stories that will get you the same place maybe, but from right. a different route, from a different right. route. And one mm-hmm. of the problems I think is both in the black fandom in specific and in general overall, both on, on both sides of the issue is if you only have one black writer, then that black writer has to be everything to everybody. Right. Right. And maybe David's approach is a little too right in your face for some people. Right. Mm-hmm. I like it. I followed Night, Nighthawk, and I think all you all are idiots for not following Nighthawk because you're idiots. But um, not you specifically, but anyone listening, if you didn't buy <laughs> Nighthawk, you're an idiot. Um, uh, but his, his way of approaching that, that character vastly different than the way I would have approached doing that character. Right. That's good. There should be more than one black guy writing more than one way about right. this stuff, right? So that people can't yeah. write it off as, oh, that's just the black 
right? So mm-hmm. I don't feel pressure like that. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I am a black man. I've always been black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up black in the United States. And that's going to go into my work whether the main character is black or not. Right. Okay. So I don't feel I needed to double dip that. I don't feel I need to be what some people might say in your face about it because it's going to be clear where I'm coming from. Right. Right. I find it fascinating when I read articles. They're like, oh, this writer's trying too hard to sound black. I'm like, really? I don't know. Like, okay. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really. I didn't realize I had to try to do that. Yeah. But okay. I didn't put the suit on this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I for, oh, that's right. I forgot to put on my last black shoe. That's what it was. Uh, so, um, but so pressure-wise, um, I I I wouldn't say I felt pressure, but there are particular um, the black triples too. When they liked it, um, I was like, okay, I can breathe a little bit. But here's the thing: I'm not really writing for a black audience or for a white audience. My thing is. Mosaic especially should be a character that you can hook into, right? If I'm only writing for black people, just black people, why am I not just doing that through my own company, right? right. And then I don't have to worry about editorial. I don't have to worry about what Marvel might want for next year. I don't have to worry right. about any of that. I can just write, frankly, like black, the comic mm-hmm. that just sold out, right, from Black right. Mask. Great mm-hmm. comic, definitely got a bent, definitely got an attitude, started with a Kickstarter and sold out its first printing. That's right. great, mm-hmm. right? I don't know that that book was going to come out from Marvel. I think it right. needed to be an independent book. So right. um, my, my, I wouldn't say I have pressure, but I always have worry because I've been in an indie market for a long time. And Todd and I, my partner, we had a different approach. Like we're both black and all of our work was going to be multi-ethnic, right? It wasn't always going to be just like straight up black, but it also mm-hmm. wasn't going to be stepping back from that. But many of our friends and cronies and, and, and peers in the indie world, they were coming at it from whatever their ethnicity or their gender type was and really hitting that subject matter hard. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what we all noticed collectively was when we would go to conventions, we mostly did business with white customers. People right. of our own ethnicities, whether it be Latin or black or Asian, will walk past us. Like sometimes I've literally seen a black mom and dad pull their black kid away from a table of a black creator at a convention. And so wow. once we all started talking to each other, we were like, look, I mean, what is this? You know, and there's been a lot of conversation about it on the web. Um, Brandon Easton has led a lot of it and wrote a very good essay about it. He calls it a black geek Stockholm syndrome, um, which basically boils down to everybody yells about you know, they yell in their chat rooms and they write their tweets and they say all this stuff about how Marvel ought to do X or DC ought to do Y in terms of uh, ethnic characters and ethnic creators. But when we step up to the plate, they don't show up, right? right. They wait for the white audience to decide and then they show up. Yeah. And then they pretend like they were always there. But if they were always there, they wouldn't need the white audience to, to decide one way or the other, right? Yeah. So. Right. It was a problem that we can't solve as creators. All we can do is our best. We can keep putting out great material. And like uh, Concrete Park by uh, Erica Alexander and Tony Currier, um, mm-hmm. that is a fantastic book. Right. Okay. I don't know what kind of sales they're doing. Um, I don't know why it's also not already on HBO. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So there is a sort of like, well, we came to play 
but you guys got to fill up the stadium. Yeah. And right. this is something that we talk about a lot, too, and it, it goes across genres from uh, comics to movies right. as well. You know, yep. we, we ask for these things that are different. So, you know, we don't need a Kevin Hart movie every single month. We don't right. need another comedy or we don't need another, you know, we, we say that we don't want all of those things. We say we don't need another slave narrative yet. Right. And there are all the movies out there like Moonlight, which is out there right now. Or and where the hell is that audience? That just came out. Yeah, like, okay, so you're, we are the primary audience for this. And when the movies open up wide release, if they can even get a wide release, they wind right. up underperforming. And so right. we get a, we get Medea, boo, Medea, or we get, right. you know, whatever, because, well, that's what you showed up for, so we're just going to keep giving you what you showed up for. And that's the thing. And that is the thing. And so what you end up with is um, various members of the audience uh, saying, why don't you do this, why don't you do this? But the, the guy on the other side of that desk might be a lady, might not even be white. And might right. come back with come back at you like, look, we keep putting out diverse material. Granted, we're not putting like Star Wars level money into any of this stuff, right? But we're putting out quality work, okay? Mm-hmm. Like Moonlight, for instance, as you say. And there's yeah. this new thing up. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's called the the, the Wizard's Cookbook or the Alchemist Cookbook or something. Um, about a guy who goes off into the woods to do whatever and then discovers magic and accidentally releases something into the world that he's alone got to deal with. Like, and people are going crazy about this on the festival circuit. But mm-hmm. when it gets released, it's going to get released in art houses, right? right? And I don't see a lot of black faces when I go to art houses. I see a lot of Asian, yeah. Latin, and white faces, but usually I'm the right. only black guy, you know? And so on some level, it's really, it's really um, it's heartbreaking on some level because I've watched so many great creators not be able to go the distance, right? Like I keep telling people, making comics isn't my day job. My day job is making television, right? Right. So I can take a hit. Let's say I don't want this to happen, but in the real world, it's very possible that Mosaic doesn't last, right? Um, people don't show up or they don't like what I'm doing with it or any combination of events, and then this time next year, Mosaic is a memory. It's possible. Right. I might sure. even be likely. I don't know. But I will say this. My livelihood doesn't depend on this. Also, I'm not sacrificing sacrificing a lot of my own personal cash, right? Right. But yeah, a lot of these true. independent creators, when they come to play, they're literally going, I'm not going to buy that new car I really need, yeah. right, to put yeah. this book out because I know there's a need. And how do I know? Because people are always saying, if only this would appear, mm-hmm. right? Well, here yeah. it is. And then you crickets. And then they go broke or they go into debt, Right. right. And there's this vibe, like, if it's a black creation, it's substandard. And I'm like, really? Because there's a whole lot of white people on this other side of this bar paying me a lot of money to write stories. Right. You might want to check out my stories. Right. Right? So, yeah. and that's not just me. That's a bunch of other people just like me. And it's very frustrating. So that was the pressure that I feel is, will this be the one? David Walker's Nighthawk should have broke through. It should have been on CNN being discussed. People, uh, Essence and does Ebony even exist anymore? Um, yeah, uh, I think Jet's uh, the only one that's gone. Yeah. Right. Um, those magazines should have been all over that book because it was brave. And Marvel mm-hmm. was brave to let him do it. Right. Right. It, it went straight at police brutality in an urban environment. 
it pulled zero punches. It it didn't it did not only didn't it pull punches, it brought a weapon. Like mm-hmm. it was like we are talking about this. Right? Even yeah. if all white fans stayed away from it, I gotta believe there's more than sixty five thousand black people who buy comics. Right. Right? Well, definitely more than yeah, and definitely more than enough. It only gets a you know a six issue run. Exactly, and here's the deal: sixty five k that keeps your book up. Right. It doesn't have to be a giant black blockbuster, you know, hit to stay alive. It just needs to do this number to make the company go, oh, we're in profit. Right. Right. They might not even read the book. They might not know what the hell you're doing in the damn book as long as it's not X rated. Yeah. yeah. Taking the book. <laughs> right. Go out and make yeah. us some money. Right, but wow. invariably, and I mean invariably, every time they don't show up, right? right? And then yeah. Brian Michael Bendis comes out with Riri Williams, and everyone's yelling, "How come a white guy's doing all this?" And I'm like, "Well, first of all, he's not not allowed to do this. It's just right. we ought to also be allowed to do this." <laughs> One exactly. and two, who else was doing it? Mm-hmm. Right? He's not allowed yeah. to bring to the thing you say you want just because he happens to be white. You know, it's like you guys got to get your get get the army in like in lockstep. Have an actual mission. You know, right. like yeah. it, it can't just be like you did this wrong. What about this? Mm. Okay, that's cool. But you did this other thing wrong. You know, right. like oh yeah, but what about that thing we 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 listened to you? Yeah, that's good. You should have been listening to us. But this other thing, you know, <laughs> like right. God, take yeah. a breath. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, so um, so that pressure. On me personally, I'm very dismissive of other people's politics. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not writing your politics. If you want to write comics, get your ass in the arena and fight with the rest of us. Um, that isn't to say I don't read the criticisms and hear what people are saying when they analyze my work. And Sometimes they'll point out things like, oh, I hadn't thought about that, or that's an impact I didn't really expect, or whatever. But I don't change my writing based on what... I don't change anything I'm writing based on the public response to it. I'm already writing it, so I'm committed. You know, I don't check in this month and go, oh, they really like that character, and I'm planning on killing her. Huh. Mm-hmm. I better I better keep her alive because people are starting to – I don't do that. I'm like, if she was slated to die in issue three, she's going down in issue three. Right. And if people don't like it or they want to ascribe some weird motive, I'm on issue five, dude. Not even thinking about that anymore. Right. So, exactly. um, but that's what other people are more more flexible. Was Marvel's plan always to he's uh, Mosaic had to be an Inhuman? Like, um, I think that they, they I think that they wanted a new Inhuman. I think that that's that's above my pay grade stuff. I know there's a lot of speculation in the press about why the Inhumans are getting their own stuff and all this kind of thing and you know, this idea that they were getting rid of all the mutants to make way for the Inhumans sort of got turned on its ear with resurrection, though, didn't it? It did. Um, you know, everybody needed to... I, I don't hear any apologies for all of that woofing. Yeah. What was I mean, well, I what? know I'm one myself, personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where is everybody? I, yeah. I thought there were an army of people who hated the Inhumans because they were killing off the mutants. But, yeah. What? You know, so... Um, but, yeah, so that's above my pay grade. I just don't know. I know that they definitely wanted whatever I came up with. They would they would have liked it to be an inhuman. Um, you didn't whatever. I put so many things that were not inhuman. Um, and Mosaic didn't need to be an inhuman. There's a version where he just has an origin. Right. Um, you know, but um, he could have been a mutant. He could have been a guy who got caught in the 
he could have been a guy who accidentally saved a blind dude and got a whole bunch of radioactive crap dumped on him. There you go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and that's, a, and that's a whole other story, too, where, you know, I, you know, I read a lot of stuff. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, why does black guy got to be a basketball player? Or why couldn't he have just had his powers from this way? Or I'm like, you know, we are so willing to accept a blind guy <laughs> giving superhuman powers from a radio toxic. <laughs> exactly. That but, you'll accept. That's yeah, that you'll accept. But you couldn't <laughs> accept a black dude that might be a basketball player because that's right. really more of a realistic thing that could possibly happen. Also, um, and there's an actual answer to that question, by the way. Uh, the answer is I wanted to talk about celebrity culture. Since mm-hmm. I used to be half a celebrity when I was an actor, I didn't right. use acting. I wanted it to be something that nobody would go, oh, he's trying to make fun of so-and-so. Or he's bringing right. up something that that must that must correlate to whoever. And here's another secret: I don't follow sports. I right. play sports from time to time, but I don't know anything about Kobe Bryant. I don't know right. anything about LeBron James. I know their names because they have commercials. Right. Okay. I don't care who is in the final five of whatever. I don't know who's got whatever <laughs> rings. I do okay. not care. Okay. I am not trying to make a point about Beyonce or Iggy Azalea. Although <laughs> they are all part of celebrity culture and there are it turns out from what i read anyway that some of the things that i wrote for morris are actually true of some of the people in celebrity culture i was like yeah. okay uh, that to me says i'm on the right track but right. he had to be a basketball player because there's no such thing as a superstar lawyer or engineer there just isn't so bite me um uh, also as you see in the comic, he's a basketball player, an active basketball player, for like what, four pages? Yeah, exactly. Not even. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of- That's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. More than getting back on that court anytime yeah. soon, I promise you. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the third thing is, name me. I can name the three, including Mosaic, athletes that became superheroes. Triathlon yeah. from Marvel. Zero. Yeah. Okay. From the old Chris Priest, uh, uh, Chris Cross book uh, at, at uh, DC. Um, I guess, oh no, okay. Uh, what's his name? Black Lightning was an Olympic athlete, but he yeah. ended up being a school teacher by the, but well before, well before. Uh, he became Black Lightning. So he's mm-hmm. a school teacher, really. Um, Onyx, I guess, might have had an athletic pass, but he got killed right away and he was creator owned. Those are DC. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. In 50 years, that's right. it. Oh, Cyborg was a high school football High school player. football player, yeah. Okay. That's it, though. That's five guys. Okay. Right. That's not Lucius Fox. That's not King T'Challa. That's not the Blue Marble. That's not the mm-hmm. Prowler. Right? right? Like, how many more can I list that aren't that? Right? right. It's like... I'm not defensive about this, right? I, I don't care. But if someone wants to confront me with that, the defense is get over it. Uh-huh. Like, that's not what this is about. I'm, right. My defense to that is get over it. You're missing the point. This is about celebrities. It's not about, it's not about that. Yeah. Um, and I admitted to you, too, that, I, you know, I do follow sports and whatever. And when right. I wrote my review, I was like, you know, and when Kobe was, you know, in his peak and prime. This this is right. kind of that. He was that dude. You know what I mean? And, That's what I hear. You know, That's what yeah, I hear. Yeah, he was that dude. Like, <laughs> just kind of a jerk. 
Just big cha- only caring about winning and didn't really care about his teammates or whatever. So when I read it, right. I was like, man, it feels a lot like, you know, peak Kobe Bryant. And you know what that tells me? Thing, yeah. That tells me I got it right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so, peak Kobe. You know, and, and I sent you that little note or whatever I said. Something, yeah. You know, NBA players have an affinity for not having, you know, black girlfriends and wives. I mean, it's just like a, almost a, a subculture. Yeah, I, 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 so when I saw T. Bleak, I was like, "Yep, that yeah. makes a lot of sense." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's like I live in pop culture. I, I like all of us do, and right. none of this stuff was to me like some kind of like. Um, I wasn't stretching for that. I wanted to hit you very hard with. He's Doctor Strange. Only instead of being the best surgeon in New York, he's the best baller in New York. Sure, um, and. What happened to Doctor Strange is the similar thing that's going to happen to, over time, Mosaic. But here's the deal. In Doctor Strange, that took three pages. Right. In um, Mosaic, that's the book. So, Because mm-hmm. uh, right. real-life people don't change on a dime like that. So, right. um, and, the, and there's no ancient one that's going to show up and be like, well, my son, if you would only stop being a dick, Right. You would have all this in front of you. There's none of right. that. Morris is going to have to learn this stuff the way real people do, the hard way. So um, he's going to do heroic stuff, and he's going to do stuff that you'd be like, damn, that was cold, man. Like, right. like he's going to do all the things that I can hope a – how do I say this? easiest way to say this is this. Um, this is a story about nurture versus nature. All his okay. life he's been taught that the world works a particular way. In these first five issues, he's going to find out that is not how the world actually works. Right. Right? So everything he's done up to this point, Morris has basically been a person who doesn't really make choices. He just experiences. He experiences pleasure. He experiences every need being gratified. He experiences winning. He experiences cameras on him all the time. He experiences never having to pay for a meal um, Mm -hmm. because he's that dude. Right? Right. But by the end of this, all of that's torn away. And who are you at the end of that? Yeah. Right? You have to start mm-hmm. driving your life. But how? Nobody ever taught you how to drive. Mm-hmm. So that's Morris's journey. Now, maybe that's only interesting to me. Uh, I have a feeling it won't be because it will involve people smacking him with superpowers and alien beings and white rays from outer space and stuff. But, yeah. um, but that's the core of the book, growing mm-hmm. up. How hard is it? Right? Mm-hmm. And especially when you've been taught to think of the world in the wrong way, in exactly the wrong way. Because Morris isn't a bad guy. He's just really right. selfish. Yeah. You know, a lot of us can relate to that. I hope so, because that's most Especially people. in our 20s. You know, especially in our yeah. 20s. Exactly. And that's another thing. He's only 23. Right. Right? So he's, and he's never had to develop all the emotional crap. You know, and I read some stuff like it's going to be quantum leap. He's not going to be solving people's problems every week. Trust right. me. I'm not doing that. Um, right. And it's not Dead Man. Dead Man had a mission. He's trying to find out who killed him. All of that, that, that's, that's not Morris. Morris ain't, right. he's not worried about any of that. Morris's mm-hmm. big primary concern is Morris. Right. <laughs> okay. So, how's Morris going to keep going? Will we be getting uh, inhuman appearances or other inhuman appearances? Um, we're working that out. The timing of some of the inhuman events, this big thing with the X Men, for instance, sort of didn't work out with how we had planned. Uh, the Morris timeline. So this right. first five issues happens before uh, Civil War. Um, right. I'm working out with Nick Nick Lowe, my editor, how to integrate or if we're going to bother to integrate, 
Like, okay. is this all prequel, or is there a place we can have a clean break and then say, in between these issues, this happened, and then come back with some new stuff? So we're work, we're literally working that out, right? Literally, like today, we had a conversation right. about. It. Okay. So, um, but yes, there will be Inhumans. I have a really great story I want to tell. That you got to remember, a lot of this is <laughs> here's what Jeff would like to do, and here's what Marvel says. Man, that's crazy. We're not doing that. So, right. so, um, so the, the fun part about working for Marvel, and it's an interesting, uh, might be an interesting eye opener to people who want to write professionally. Um, when I do independent work, it's me and my partner. We sit down, we make up a story, we map out the beats. I start writing, he starts drawing. Uh, we come back together and sort of pull out bits we don't like from each other's thing, make some modifications, and then you guys get the book. So if you go read the first chapter of uh, of Prodigal, the chapter of Prodigal is up for free on thrillbent.com, um, that's the result of that process I just described. It's just two guys making up a story they both want to tell basically the same way. When you work sure. for a big company like Marvel, yeah, you come in hard and you have your big head of steam of what you're going to do and all the plans you have and all that kind of stuff. But you've got to understand, I don't own Mosaic. At some, at some point, somebody else is going to be writing him, drawing him. Kari doesn't right. own Mosaic. Right? Right. Emilio doesn't own Mosaic. So when Marvel says, oh, that's all really great, they're not necessarily saying no because they don't like the story. Like, for instance, this whole Inhumans in versus Mutants thing, nobody told me anything about that. I found out about that in the press. Oh, wow. Right. So I was like, um, for instance, when I saw Mosaic was going to be part of that, I was like, wait, what? Am I going to have to <laughs> – am I doing a tie-in book? Somebody needs to tell me these yeah. things. <laughs> you know? right. And Nick was like, no, no, we're not doing a tie-in. This all came up in a different way, blah, blah, blah. It's just, and I'm like, well, you better make sure we use his powers right because blah, 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 blah. He doesn't talk like this in body. And, you know, and he's like, calm down, calm down, you know. But um, but there is that component of this is a big corporation and it doesn't always talk to itself, right? And it is a team effort. There are many things that happened in the mosaic, number one, that were a result of people other than me. Um, that big whole final sequence that happens in the rain, um, mm-hmm. that was all Emilio, our colorist. Okay. The rain part, the rain mm-hmm. part, all that water and stuff, that was Emilio. That's not scripted. Right. Um, and when I saw Kari's line art for it, I was like, damn, this is tight, but you left a lot of space and, you know, those kind of stuff. In my head, I'm like, what's Kari doing? Because he's been really detailed up to these pages, and these are some very important pages. But I didn't say anything because, you know, they know their business. They know what they're doing, and he works with Emilio a lot. So mm-hmm. um, when I saw the final art, I was like, oh, he knew Emilio was going to do all of this. Right. Right? So, and then you see the final product, and you're like, damn, I should have I written that. Wow. I wish I could take credit for that, but that was yeah. all Emilio. <laughs> you know, and I and you hear me saying it. I could currently take credit for that. I'm not. Emilio did that. The other thing is on that very last page where he's lying face down, I wrote mm-hmm. that scene exactly the way you're seeing it. And Kari drew it, and Emilio colored it, and all of that's true. And then Nick Lowe, the editor, came in and says, you know what might be really cool right there? Throw that mosaic shadow in the, in the ground in the water. Mm. Right? I was like, damn, I should have written that. You should have written that. <laughs> I can't take credit for that because Nick knows. Shit. Right. You know? So right. it's a coll- what I'm saying is it's a team effort. It's team mosaic. It's primarily me on the story. It's primarily Kari and Emilio on the art. But Nick's in there too. And the book you see is not just like pure Jeff right from Jeff's mind to the streets. It's a, it's a team making this book. So, right. um, and the same thing with Solo, which doesn't get a lot of press because it's got yet another white guy in the lead, but it's actually different. Right. Um, Solo, by the way, you asked me about 
what pressure do I feel? Jerry mm-hmm. Duggan, who sort of did the revamp of Solo in the Mercs for Money, asked me to come on and help write Solo. He had created this character who existed only off screen, this chick named Katita, who was like Solo's ex-girlfriend slash baby mom. And I guess he was in that book just sort of a phone presence to be, um, what do you call it, Uh, to be a kind of comic relief, something on his life, right? Mm -hmm. I was like, so you haven't really developed her out? He's like, nope. I was like, so what if Katita's like this, right? Mm -hmm. We see Katita in that book. She's she's a a black, she's black and black Spanish, black Latino. Um, mm-hmm. a Blackina with a little black right. baby that is also Solo's baby, and mm-hmm. she's actually better at Solo's job than Solo is. Mm-hmm. She just re- she's just retired. So when he gets in a deep scrape, who does he call his ex, Katita? Right. What should I do now? Man. Right? Mm-hmm. And Katita yeah. is hard as hell. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, um, but it's not something you're going to see from the cover. So a lot of people who are like, is there pressure? I'm like, I don't consider it pressure. I just feel like as a black writer, I live in the United States in a way that a, the average white writer probably does not. So I have access to people and kinds of conversations and kinds of relationships, right, that there's nothing wrong with not knowing that stuff because if that's not your life, it's not your life. But, you know, my life is wrapped up in a lot of other ethnic groups, and a lot of other different sexualities because of who I'm related to and who I'm familyed up with and who I just hang with and right. so I don't have to think about it I just put that into my work I just that just automatically goes into my work I don't have to sit and talk I gotta, I gotta have a gay character who can the gay character be wonder who the gay character is gonna be in this one mm-hmm. you know, I, I got a tough woman but I need to have another woman who's not quite as tough because I don't want everyone to think I only like tough chicks you know, I'm like, I don't think any of that crap I, that just never even goes through the computer man. I'm just like What's cool? What makes the story go? That's it. Like mm-hmm. it's just the faces that I put on them might be different than the next dude. Right. So now, solo. Did that get? How did I not see solo? Did that nobody? That, Marvel's not pushing solo. I don't know why. God bless them. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm having a ball writing solo. It's very different than. It's very different. <laughs> Mosaic. Oh my god. But uh, it's just fun. It's just a, it's like Mr. and Mrs. Smith or uh, right. like a James Bond movie was also really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's this, that. Solo basically is, he's a great sort of mercenary type dude, but he's not as good as he thinks he is. So right. he keeps getting in over his head and having to call his ex to get him out of it. And right. it's just like <laughs> that people keep ending up dead. And he's just like, how did that happen? <laughs> Like, well, there's only one thing to change, Solo. You showed up. Yeah. Now everybody's dead. <laughs> right? So, um, and we, we wanted to show a little corner of the Marvel Universe that you don't normally see, which is sort of like, after they beat the villain, like, you know, let's say it's a villain like uh, the Stilt Man or somebody dumb like that. Sure. Right? Um, where do they go? How do they live? Like, when they're not trying right. to take over New York, they got to be doing something. Right? So... Mm-hmm. We were like, what happened to all those mid-level dudes? Well, that was that's what the book is sort of set in that world of people who, like, just take jobs and do stuff, and they're, like, they're not quite henchmen, but they're not quite Dr. Doom, you know? Right. <laughs> and how, how do they function, and who shuts them down when the Avengers are busy on another planet? You right. know, uh, it's guys like Solo. It's guys mm-hmm. like Solo. So um, it's just a fun book. It's very, like, not trying to change the world or anything. Um, but uh, we're having a good time with it. And Jerry's actually stepped back a bit and let 
I wouldn't say let. We came in at 50-50, but he's got a lot on his plate, so I'm doing most of the writing. He's just sort of doing the punch-up if there's if there's a need for the jokes, um, which is, I think, uh, not, I wouldn't say he's not just a joke machine. It's not like that. But we started mm-hmm. out at 50-50, and now it's more like 75-25 because he's got a lot going on. Um, and I'm I'm having a ball riding solo. So, uh, but because he's you know a basic white dude on the cover, and it's yeah. like people like I you know I can imagine comic book fans going really solo, <laughs> but yes, really solo. Check him out, man. <laughs> Have a good time. You know, issue two comes out next month, and I guarantee you, you're not you're gonna enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> people who write that. I do a slow burn in my books, by the way. Like, anybody yeah. thinks they know what's going on from issue one and anything I write, you need to sit right. back because this is not what it is. It's not that party. Whatever you think you know, you don't. Do you feel that Marvel's, like, committed to um, to Mosaic? Like, Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I, think I found out, yeah, I found out in a really, like, my surprise was um, I thought of Solo as sort of like, okay, they're giving me this little book going to be off to the side over here, you know, it's an inhuman. I know there's a little bit of backlash against the inhumans going on, so Marvel must know that too. So the fact that we chose to do it this way, and also it's kind of experimental in, in some other ways, and um, so they're letting me do this, but I thought I'd be kind of off to the corner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the black press would care about it, and certainly I right. care about it, but the average and Marvel itself would be like, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. And then right. I started seeing him all over these posters, and they got that weird thing where he's like shattered heroes, where he's he's half of it's Captain America who gets yeah, yeah, yeah. his favorite agent, you know, and all this stuff. I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? Right. You know, none of, that, none of that's happening in the actual book, right? right? So I call up Nick, and I'm like, dude, what's happening, man? I'm seeing some stuff, you know. And he's like, no, we just he's going to be in this, he's going to be doing that. Um, we want him to have a presence, and that's how I found out he was even going to be in. In Humans Eleven, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't know that. Right. So um, uh, they they are definitely serious about Solo. They did a, they did a six month pre press. They did that like that free that free prelude thing. They quickly called me up out of nowhere like, "Can you do a ten page prelude for Solo?" And I was like, "I mean, I can. Where do you want it set? Like, what time period? Because the whole first five issues is his origin story." So. Mm-hmm. You know, where do you want it? Like, well, after that, after he's already got a handle on his powers, it just, like, has his powers. And I was like, all right. So that's what the prelude is, and that's free on Comixology. They they gave that away. They spent money to sure. give it away. So mm-hmm. I think they definitely want it to work. Um, they're definitely behind me and my take on it. It's not like there's any notion that anyone other than me is going to be writing solo. Um, I mean, pardon me, uh, Mosaic. But um, it's really everything in this business is based on sales, man. I mean, right. uh, Marvel can be really behind it, and I believe they are. They've been nothing but supportive of the things I want to do. The kind of conflicts, I wouldn't even call them conflicts we have, are just the normal things that happen with an editor and a writer, where the editor has needs and the writer has wants, and you find a third way, and that's what the audience sees, you know. Right. But um, in terms of their corporation being behind it, I think you couldn't possibly be more behind a brand-new superhero uh, than they are right now behind Mosaic. Uh, uh, and now it's on the fans. We hit the ball into you guys' side of the court. You know, um, I'm hoping um, podcasts like yours and the Black Girl Nerds and the Tribbles uh, uh, and the Fan Brothers and those and all you guys who didn't exist when I started reading comics. Right. I hope you understand that the power that you have is exactly that to right. let people know what's out there, whether it's my book or not. 
and to make sure they understand that there is a direct line between you guys buying stuff and that stuff mm-hmm. sticking around. Right. You know, I mean, I, I went through Milestone, and I was one of those dudes that was reading the comic book press at the time, and they were lying about what Milestone was doing, what kind of books they were putting out. There's still people who say, like, well, I didn't like the way they colored it, and I didn't like all the art was amateurish. And I'm like, really? Crisscross, amateurish? Right. Uh, John Paul Leon, amateurish? Right. What are you talking about? Right? Yeah. These are people who got their first breaks, right? right, at Milestone and are now giant comic book artists. And the same with the writers. Half the, half the uh, Milestone writers went into either animation or are currently writing comic books, mm-hmm. right? So what, yeah. they sucked? No, there was a whole big thing where there was a whether it was on purpose, whether it was a where it was collusion. I don't know, wouldn't speculate, but there was a press from the comic book press when it was just one color of people doing it to right. say, "Here's what that is." And I think mm-hmm. on some level that's partially what killed Milestone Version One, yeah. right? Because black mm-hmm. folks they were like not trying to be that one black guy in a crowd of white guys. Saying, but mm-hmm. what about Milestone? So well, of course you would say that you're the black guy. You know, right. and I'm like, no, these are actually really good books, like really right. good, right. you know, and fleshed out it, characters that have been developed. Yes, man. Over time. Yes, yes, yes. And but yet it went away. And right. I'll say this to my dying day: if any of our minority groups, Latin, Black, Asian, whichever group you choose, gay, female, if you choose a book, it can be any book. It doesn't even have to be a good book, but we'd like it to be a good book. Right. Choose a good choose a book once a year. This book's going to be a hit. You don't need the white audience. I would like to have the white audience. I'm not not writing for the white audience. I'm not excluding anybody in my own work. But there's a school of thought that would say you don't really need them because if you guys point yourself at anything, it's a hit. Right. There's enough of you in, in real numbers to make it a hit. Ask Tyler Perry. Yeah. <laughs> you made him a giant star. It wasn't white people that did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, so turn that attention. Now, again, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be my books. There are plenty of awesome books out there. And that's another thing. Um, I'm, I'm on a rant. I'm sorry. Uh, it used to be like you point at the black comics and people would say, well, look, they're not really that good. You know, I know, uh, you know, 10 points for trying, but like negative 50 for being shitty. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, did I swear? I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, um, and, uh, and maybe some of that was true. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention that way at that time. But let's say it was true. Maybe there was a lot of people who couldn't really play but were jumped in the ring too early, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not true now. Now we got people like myself, Brandon Thomas, Brandon Easton, uh, Enrico Carrion, uh, Erica and Tony. Um, I, I'm running a, a, a Jimmy Robinson, um, mm-hmm. obviously David Walker, Mr. Coach mm-hmm. on the Black Panther. Um, there's a... Oh, John Semper uh, doing holding it down on, uh, and this new cat whose name I can't remember who's doing Vigilante for uh, DC, and that's not counting indie world, right? Um, there's enough of us operating on all levels, and I, and by the way, everyone I just listed was a, a, a writer. There's a mm-hmm. stack of artists as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're not putting out any work that you could say is substandard. If you put me on the Fantastic Four you're not going to be able to tell that it's a black dude writing the Fantastic Four. It's just going to be a kick-ass Fantastic Four arc, right? Absolutely. And you'll go running by that. But if I put, if you put the same black guy on the Ultimates, mm-hmm. are you going to run him by that? Right. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I personally don't know. But you can't say it's because we can't rock. We can't rock this house. 
because there's too many of us doing it. You, you don't have the fans don't have that excuse anymore. No fan has that excuse. So uh, our side is stepping up. The creative side is stepping up. We're doing everything we can do, right? And I think editorial is doing uh, well. I have my issues with DC Comics. I have to be fair about that. That you should know. And you're yeah. both closer. I don't read DC Comics, and I have not read DC Comics not written by a friend of mine. I'll read anything my friends write, whatever. But if you're not right. a friend of mine and you write for DC Comics, I haven't read any of your books since Flashpoint. I stopped <laughs> reading comics. I stopped reading DC Comics at Flashpoint. Um, um, so, but even there in a little tiny, not quite getting it way, even they are hiring more writers and more disparate writers. Right, mm-hmm. it hasn't really translated into their product yet, but maybe that'll start to come. Um, Marvel, on the other hand, is leaning out the window on this. Mm-hmm. They've hired in the last ten months more black writers than they hired in the last ten years. Okay, yeah, that mm-hmm. is a conscious choice. Someone, I don't know if it's Axel, I don't know if it's somebody above him, maybe it was a team of people, I don't know, but somebody either decided we're going to start doing this in terms of hiring, or we're going to stop not hiring them. I don't know what the choice was, but I do know it's a radical one because you can see the difference. It's literally like they've made a sharp right turn on a street. Right. You're <laughs> going really fast down a highway going another way. They just, right. zoom, this other way. So they're not hiring people who can't do it, right? My TV resume alone should tell anyone reading my comics I know what I'm doing. Right? They didn't just grab me off the street like, oh, who's this random dude, this basic dude they put on the book. I'm not basic nothing. <laughs> right? And nor are nor is David Walker, nor is mm-hmm. Brandon Thomas, nor is Brandon Easton. Right? Nor was Eric Wallace when he was doing uh, Mr. Terrific. None of us are this basic dude that people have in their heads. We all have like other things going on and we really like comics. <laughs> right? Well, come to well, us. I, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, two before we got out. Um, okay. You mentioned that about Marvel jumping, you know, kind of out there like that, and you do get the Riri Williams um, Iron Man or Iron Heart book coming out. Did you follow the controversy? I guess that was last week with the covers. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that was a huge mistake. Um, go ahead. I think I don't have anything against uh, I was J. Scott Campbell. I think yeah, it's great. I, I love his artwork, but. Right. It's kind of like when they hired Milo Minara to do that Spider-Woman cover. You know what you're mm-hmm. going to get. Right. Right? So mm-hmm. you can't blame the artist. No one should be mad at the artist. Um, but whoever made the decision at Marvel Editorial to, uh, to have that guy draw a 15-year-old girl that right. way and thought it was nothing of it, that right. person needs to think again. I don't know who right. it was. Literally have no idea, and I'm not trying to call anyone out. It was, it was, could, it was obviously an honest mistake. You know, he's a big star in the art world, in the comic book art world. It makes sense, you know. Same with Frank Cho. Frank Cho is a fantastic artist. He largely likes to do on his own time cheesecake-style art. Also Mm -hmm. fine. No problems with Frank, right? Right. It's just when you can't turn it off, um, when it's time to turn it off, you know. Um, And, again, it's the editors. It's the editors, not the artists, because the editors could say, don't do this, don't want to see this. Mm-hmm. Or in yeah. Campbell's case, what fifteen-year-old girls are you hanging out with? Yeah, because <laughs> damn, man, damn. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, yeah, and, you and, know what and I mean? I think that, yeah, that was our big thing too. It was like because uh, of the age, <laughs> but also yeah. Marvel too. Like, I mean, if you've seen any of his work, 
I yeah. just were you surprised that this is what he came up with if that was his tape? Like and right. like how that 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 sat on somebody's desk and somebody rubber stamped it. Right. Somebody, somebody approved did. it. Yeah, yeah, somebody approved it and you know, that's what I'm saying, you know, I, I, I was a little disappointed in uh J. Scott Campbell's reaction to it. Um, Listen, but, you're gonna, you're always gonna get pushback from these artists because, on a certain level, it's personal to them. And watch what happens. There's some stuff coming up in Mosaic that I have. I'm very interested to see how people respond, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if they respond horribly negatively to it, at least on my Twitter feed, I may have something to say about that. Right. Okay. But uh, it's part of the dance. I mean, the artists. There a lot of these superstar comic book artists too. They're used to like basically nothing but praise, right? Right. Um, what they're getting now is that in addition to having a more inclusive audience, you're getting a different kind of response from the audience that you thought you knew, right? Right. Like mm-hmm. ladies, especially. I don't think comic book uh, creators. Uh, I don't. Not even a matter. Of think for the most of the history of comic books, women were not in any kind of position either as artists or as writers. Uh, to have any kind of sort of real agency over the comics, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone assumed, oh, no ladies are reading these books, or if they do, they read like Casper and Archie comics. Yes, Archie, right. right? That's all the that's right. That's for you, ladies. Enjoy yourself over there, you know. Yeah. But in reality, that's not the case. And mm-hmm. what has happened is with the internet, those ladies are like, that is not only not the case. You guys need to chill. Like yeah. every time, every time you step over this yellow line, you're gonna get a yeah, from us. <laughs> exactly. right? Until you idiots figure it out, right? So every time Marvel makes this error, which isn't that often, frankly, but they made a similar error on DC side with um, the revamp of Starfire in uh, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws some years. Right. It was a couple years back where they made her like, I don't know, like just like a sex bot basically, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. And, and that was in the writing. That wasn't even in the art. And yeah. there was a backlash. And everyone was expressing surprise and they tried to defend it. But the bottom line is, nope, not just boys in the room anymore, guys. And mm-hmm. by the way, not all the boys agree either. Right. Right? Don't try and yeah. put this off on just the ladies. Oh, you poor kids. Poor pink pink dress wearing ladies. You right. know, you get your little noise, noses out of joint. No, it's not just the ladies. There's a stack of us dudes over here, too, going, that was what? What? No. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, go meet yeah. some real women. Yeah, and my yeah. my daughter was reading the Starfire book, and I was like, you know, she's nine, okay, <laughs> so but she's just an advanced reader. But I'm reading right. some stuff, and I was like, ah, oh, cringing yeah, just a little bit here and there. Yeah, uh, let's have a little father daughter talk after you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little yeah. I know some of it's going over your head, but some of it's seeping in, and I'm a little bit concerned about that. And that's the thing, um, like. I talk about people, what are these books actually about, right? And there's a, there's a section of our, of our fandom, right, a kingdom of our fans that only likes the wrestling match part of it, right? Yeah. They, they're perfectly happy with Thor putting that hammer right through somebody's head, right? right? They want Thor to hit somebody so hard with that hammer that their head literally explodes, right? To me, that's a person who ought, one, not to be reading comics, and two, doesn't get it, Right. right. He's the hero, man. He's the mm-hmm. hero. Okay? If you don't get that basic concept, you probably need to move on to some other kind of literature. <laughs> right? There's other, yeah, there's other sources where you could get that. Right. And I, and I read the, uh, the column. I can't participate in forums anymore because anything I say now 
will be like, oh, the writer creator of Mosaic called out so and so who writes blah 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 to say blah, and I'm like, no, it's just a fan going, I didn't like that book, but sure. I can't do that anymore. So these interviews are the only places I can say some of this stuff. And one of the things is I've noticed in some of the forums and certainly in some of the comments uh, that um, the uh, the uh, what do you call it um, the backlash against the Riri mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of us in this fandom that don't really get women, that just right. don't get them, that don't right. understand that they exist, that they have minds, that that that, that they're not they're, they're not just there to be like looked at and drooled over and possibly fondled. Right. Know, like, hold up for a minute. Hold up for one minute. Just one minute. I got to take this quick call. Hold on. No, that's okay. I can't no believe can't believe I'm doing this. It's all right. We'll clean it up. You're okay. We'll clean it up when he comes back. We'll just clean it up in post-production. We're almost done. It's 4.30. Okay. Yeah, I, I have something going on that I cannot discuss. That, that's the only reason I took that call. That will no. you'll hear about it in about a year and a half. But that's perfect. Uh, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we have to be we have to be aware that 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 segment of our uh, that segment of our fans are that way, but we don't have to cater to them. Mm-hmm. Right. This should yeah, be one of those like hang on or hang up situations. Like, we're going over here now, fellas. You can stick with yeah. us or you can go buy some other kind of book. Yeah, and I think that is a, a lot of the kind of what I call the white boy and pushback is that. It's like, you're taking yeah. my comments in a direction that I'm not comfortable with. And like, well, and you stop know, buying the world it. is going in a direction that you're not comfortable with. That, well, that's what it is. And this yeah, is a place where they can, yeah, they can flex here. They feel this is a place where I can flex. I feel powerful here. I'm going to flex, yeah. right? But the bottom line is, either you like it and you buy it, or you don't like it and you don't buy it. And Lady Thor is selling as well or better than Dude Thor was. So guess what? (laughs) Get on board or get off. That's (laughs) right. Get on on or get off the tracks, man. I'm telling you, Marvel doesn't do nothing. Marvel's not putting out books to be broke. If Lady Thor was not selling really well, there will be no Lady Thor. Okay, someone is buying the hell out of that book, and if that's not you, guess what? You're not on the right train. Yeah, you're missing out. <laughs> you know, so I'm fine with the way the direction is going. I always wish it would go faster, but and personally, I'm a writer who's like, that's not an audience I want. If you're a racist mm-hmm. and you have racist comments about what my work is, I'm not writing for you. Don't buy my book. Right. I don't want your yeah. book. I don't care what Marvel wants. I don't want you. <laughs> you right. know. If you're sexist, don't buy my book. Right. You're not gonna like it, so why are you bothering? Right. Don't yeah, buy exactly. It. Exactly. You're gonna buy you it, so you can criticize it. You save yourself yeah. for the four dollars. Yeah, Marvel might say, I don't care why you buy it, just buy it. We want the money. I as the writer, don't buy my book. I'm telling you, don't buy my book. I don't want your business. Okay. <laughs> I don't want your business if you're an ass. <laughs> uh, but we have to know that those people are out there in the world and they make up a significant enough portion of the fan base that they can make their problems known. 
and they are going to talk smack about it. I've already read a whole bunch of stuff by people months in advance, like weeks and months in advance of the book even coming out, before even even the free preview came out. Oh, they're just doing this, or this is another black dude trying to do this. And I'm like, really? I'm almost willing to bet you have never personally met a black dude quite like Right. You know, and, right. and if and if you have problems with my anyone has problems with anything I do in one part of my work, I always say you probably should read all of my work. Right. Right? Because I do a lot more than just this one book for Marvel. And a lot of it is unfiltered. So if you want right. to get an idea where I am politically, Mosaic might not be your best place to be looking for that. <laughs> it might just be a superhero book. I know that's crazy, but it might just be a superhero book. Yeah, working in a, you have to understand we're working in certain spaces here. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Wow. So, well, thank you. Man. Oh, I'm sorry. I do appreciate it. No, I was just saying, I, I know you, if you're getting calls about stuff that's happening a year and a half from now, I want uh, <laughs> too much of your time. And we already given um, us like way over no, an no, hour. No. It was a tiny thing. I listen. The reason I'm doing this, and I'll be point blank with it. I know how comic book fans are, but I also know that you guys act as a trumpet for good material. I think Mosaic's good material, so I'm saying yes to anyone who wants to talk to me about Mosaic. I mean, why wouldn't I? This is sure. you doing me a favor. You're doing me a favor. I want at least the black fans, at least the black fans, sure. to be like, what? I didn't hear about this. The book's still on the shelf in some places. It didn't sell out everywhere. Right, you know, go get it. Go buy that damn thing. Let Marvel know. Tell them that you want more stuff like this. Don't let right. it go like Nighthawk went. Nighthawk should still be coming out. Should not be canceled. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By the way, Mockingbird also should not have been canceled. I blame all of you people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great book, and I blame all of you. Yes, I saw. I just saw that recently too. I'm like, oh my goodness. All right. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, Jeff, um, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, I, um, you know, I follow you on Twitter. I, I put that in my, my review. Yeah, too. that's in You're there. a great um, Twitter follow, not just for comic I, book stuff. I have the same Twitter handle, Game of Thorns is on medium.com. I uh, wrote a couple articles there, and I've got a sort of a free comic book thing I'm writing and drawing there called uh, RBG. Um, and uh, Twitter, um, Facebook, Dreamnasium. Um, and jeffreythorn.com, that's pretty much it. Wow. And thank you, man, so much for this. Oh, um, thank really you. Thank you. It, man. Uh, we're Absolutely. Thank uh, you. And highly supportive of this, of the book and the projects and um, the other, uh, like I said, um, if you do not follow uh, Jeff on Twitter, you really are missing out. The comic book stuff is great, too. Uh, but you uh, you're missing out. Jeff's crazy. You just, just want to say it. Jeff's crazy. Just crazy. <laughs> yeah, his commentary on other subjects is uh, always highly entertaining. Uh, so you definitely should follow him there, and on Facebook as well. You can follow him on Facebook as well. Yeah, um, I get mad about stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but highly passionate about things that are important to you, which most people right. should be. So that that's perfectly okay. But uh, yeah, thank you thank so much. Um, if you are a Brothers Comics fan, uh, remember you'll be able to find this uh, interview on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. Uh, you can follow me on the professor at Brothers Comics. You can find us on Facebook at Brothers.Hutchinson. Um, and um, uh, just a little bit of quick business. We'll be at the Florida Megacon uh, this Woo-hoo! weekend. 
Yeah, the Tampa, Florida MegaCon. We'll be covering that uh, for press for the website. So be on the lookout for, you know, pictures, cosplays, interviews, and whatnot. So. Oh, I'll be at Stan Lee's uh, Comic Con this weekend on Saturday. Okay, that? Hanging out. We're, uh, in got L.A.? Two yeah, in L.A. Uh, okay. I've got two panels. They're in the brochure. One's in the morning and one's at three. Uh, and then I'll be home writing. Stanley's <laughs> oh, got his own con down there? Uh, Stan, it used to be called Kamikaze, but he just stamped his name on it, and now it's just the L.A. Comic Con. Stanley's L.A. Comic Con. Oh, so I didn't know that. All right, I'll be looking out for Stan, that. Oh, Stan, right. Stan keeps moving. Don't, don't, huh? Stan is still alive. Stan is moving. Try. All right. <laughs> awesome. All right, so, again, thank you all. Appreciate it very much. And, uh, again, thanks, Jeff. We really appreciate it, bro. Thank you so much for the kind words. It's been great. All right. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.